Yeah, sorted. Awesome. We have power. So, um, when I was about 13, I was on a small motorboat. I don't know why my parents thought that was okay, but I was. Um, I was with some friends down on the East Coast, and we were on the sea. Um, We discovered that even in sort of relative calm, uh, there was a spot in front of some rocks where the waves were always uh, pretty decent. Um, We would take the boat around these rocks, and facing away from the shore, uh, we would ride these waves as they rose up and crashed on the rocks behind us. Uh, So one day we were doing just that, uh, and the waves were a bit bigger (laughs) than usual, um, and we were having a jolly good time uh, riding these waves. We were just kind of holding our position. It was quite, quite exciting, waves crashing behind us, all good fun, until the engine stopped. And suddenly we were in big trouble. I remember desperately pulling the starter cord over and over and over as the waves picked the boat up and pushed us backwards towards the rocks, but it wouldn't start. Um, the boat had oars, but the waves were, they were far too big uh, for us to even think about rowing. Uh, there was absolutely nothing we could do to save ourselves, and the fear of being smashed onto the rocks was all too real. We were helpless. Just as we were beginning to really panic, (laughs) I suddenly saw my dad on the rocks. That's not actually my dad, just so so you know. And he had a rope in his hand, bless him. He threw the rope, we caught it, uh, and what in my memory seemed like a sort of superhuman effort, he kind of hauled the boat round the outcrop of rocks to the other side, where it was calm, and we could get out the boat safely. We had been utterly helpless, and only when my dad appeared was there any hope at all. So today, we're going to look at a section of the Bible that shows us that without Jesus, we're helpless, but certainly not hopeless. So just by way of of kind of context, if you haven't been following along with us in our series um, we're roughly halfway through a book in the Bible called Acts, which uh, was written by a doctor called Luke. Um, a lot has happened so far uh, in the book, but um, in terms of what you might need to know today, we pick up the story with a couple of guys called Paul and Barnabas who have been, they've been sent out from their church uh, on a missionary journey to share a message. Uh, and they've been traveling around Cyprus for a while, visiting and preaching in the synagogues there. Um, So I'm going to hand over to Cameron, who I think is going to come and do the Bible reading for us. Thank you. Okay, so Acts chapter 13, reading from verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. 
Standing up, Paul motioned with his hands and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of the country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Cana, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? Am I not the one you are looking for? But there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors that he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it was written in the second Psalm, You are my son. Today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it was also stated elsewhere, You will not let your holy one see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wander and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Brilliant. Thanks, Kevin.
so, Paul, it's a long passage, I know, thanks for bearing with it. We're going to kind of motor through it um, to start with, and then we'll slow down as things get on, as we get to kind of learning about what we're going to, how we're going to apply this to ourselves today. So Paul takes the opportunity here to preach a very different kind of sermon to the ones that the Jews and others listening would be used to hearing. Uh, we'll take a few minutes to look um, at this. Uh, and then, as I say, work out how it's going to apply to us. So the first couple of verses are just a a bit of a connection between um, what we were hearing about last week and what we're learning this week. Uh, So uh, from Cyprus, Paul and Barnabas sailed over to Perga, um, and they press on uh, and complete what will have been a pretty full-on 100-mile trek up over the mountains Um, to Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath, they visit uh, the local synagogue. Uh, The local synagogue leaders must have recognized uh, that Paul was a rabbi. Perhaps he was sporting his finest Sabbath rabbinical wear, all the rage for the uh, seasoned first century rabbi. Uh, Whatever the case, um, Paul was asked by them to speak. So verses 16 and 24 we're going to look at first. Um, Paul's sermon sort of roughly splits into kind of three main sections um, and we're going to look at the saving acts of God to start with. Uh, So although Gentile believers uh, are present, Paul's address is primarily directed towards um, the Jewish audience. So John Stott, um, who in his commentary, uh, sets the scene like this. But now the whole atmosphere is Jewish, the day is the Sabbath, The venue is the synagogue. The lessons are from the law and the prophets. The listeners are men of Israel. And the theme is how the God of the people of Israel has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. So this first section um, is based on uh, the Old Testament. And it's almost a mini history of the Israelites. And Paul focuses on God's saving acts, as they're called, and Paul lists them here. We can read all of these back in the Old Testament, and if you, if you look, you'll see that God is really the, the, the subject of all of these statements. So, um, verse 17, the God of the people of Israel chose our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again in 17, he made the people prosper during their stay, stay in Egypt, then led them out of the country. That's ex- the Exodus. Verse 18, He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert, wandered in the wilderness uh, on their way to the promised land. Verse 19, he overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to the people. Verse 20, God gave them judges. Verse 21 and 22, the people asked for a king and he gave them Saul. After removing Saul, he made David their king. So Paul is really kind of highlighting here that it was God who has been at work in and for Israel throughout their history, preparing the way for the promised Messiah. So Paul then kind of leaps forward a bit in history to Jesus, who is descended from King David. He mentions John the Baptist as a, a forerunner, someone who came before Jesus and pointed to the coming of Jesus. Uh, So after this history recap, Paul, like John the Baptist, then turns and points his listeners to Jesus. So in this kind of second section, um, 
Paul tells the story of Jesus and he concentrates on uh, the saving events of Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, The famous preacher Peter Granger puts it like this. He says, Paul's hearers know and believe that the Hebrew scriptures are their final authority for testing anything, especially something as important as the identity of the promised Messiah. So Paul supports all that they have said by showing that Jesus fulfills all the promises of Scripture. Um, so we'll look really just very quickly at the kind of four kind of saving acts of Jesus that uh, Paul talks about. So uh, the ministry of John the Baptist, which is verse 24, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. Uh, verse 27, the trial and cruci- crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, the people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Jesus yet. In condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. Uh, and thirdly, the burial of Jesus, verse 29. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. And finally, his resurrection, verse 30, 31. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Um, Then Paul goes on to highlight some sort of extra supportive texts um, from from the Old Testament. He does this to really connect firmly in the minds of the the people that he's speaking to this idea that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and fulfills the promises of God. So um, I'm not going to read them all out, um, but in verse 32 he quotes um, Psalm 2, verse 7. Uh, In verse 34 he quotes from Isaiah. uh, And then again in verse 35 he quotes from a psalm, and they're all um, pointing uh, to Jesus. So what was not ever fulfilled through King David, who did die and did decay, has now been fulfilled in the far greater King Jesus, the promised Messiah who was raised from the, raised from the dead and did not decay. So it starts to get a bit more serious serious decision in fact one commentator titles this section life or death which is quite dramatic (laughs) I didn't call it that but um, so after bringing history and scripture together um, Paul makes his appeal to the people that are listening Uh, and these next verses these are these are the, the core of Paul's message, but they're actually at the core of the Christian message as well. Um, So these are the key verses for today, verse 38 and 39. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free of every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So, Paul has come to tell these Jews and others listening that their Messiah, the Savior, that they've been waiting for has come finally after these hundreds of years of waiting. Now, 
these Jews know that their sin is a problem. And for hundreds of years, they've been studying the rules and guidelines uh, set out by God for the Israelites um, on how they should live and eat and dress and worship and sacrifice. It's referred to as the law of Moses. Paul clearly says in verse 39 that justification, which means being made right with God or just as if, just as if we had never sinned. Um, justification cannot be obtained by following the law. Um, and that's supported by other verses in the Bible, like Romans 3.20, which says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. What they've been putting their hope in will no longer save them. And then Paul issues a very serious warning. Again, he quotes uh, Old Testament scriptures that uh, his hearers will have known. The text he quotes um, is from Habakkuk 1. It's from a period in the history of the Israelites when they were not listening to God and God was raising up a, a fearful and terrible army to come and overrun their defenses as a result of their uh, not listening and not obeying. In other words, for those that ignore or dismiss this message of forgiveness through Jesus, the consequences will be terrible. So after Paul's sermon, it seems that at least some, perhaps many of those who listened, also believed because Paul and Barnabas urged them to continue in the grace of God. And many were at least intrigued and wanted to hear more. They were desperate to hear more the next week. So, what does this teach us this week? Well, similarly to Paul's sermon, uh, there'll be two main groups of people who hear this message today, I think. There'll be others, but maybe two main groups. There'll be the seemingly sorted. These would be people who already call themselves a Christian who are likely part of a church either here at Hope City or elsewhere. And then there are the seriously seeking. Um, maybe you've been thinking about faith uh, and you're curious about life and its meaning and whether these Christians have any answers of any value. There's a theologian um, called Martin Luther. Back in 1533, he wrote about this book of Acts, he said, it should be noted that by this book, St. Luke teaches the whole of Christendom uh, that the true and chief article of Christian doctrine is this. We must all be justified by faith alone in Jesus without any contribution from the law or help from our works. In other words, the single most important thing to understand about the Christian faith is this. We are only made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There is no other way. We cannot save ourselves any more than me and my friends had the power to overcome the waves that threatened us that day. <clears throat> Excuse me. Take a deep breath. So, if you are a Christian already, excuse me, I really want to remind you that you 
are only made right with God by faith in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I think, well, I believe that something that God wants us to hear this morning and wants us to do is to search our hearts. You see, I think sometimes when we've been Christians for a while, um, it's easy for us to forget that we cannot uh, earn any favor with God or earn our salvation by doing stuff. Um, So what things are you doing to try and gain favor or even earn your salvation? Are you doing loads of big, long, quiet times? Are you busy doing lots of things for other people? Are you saying yes to everything you're being asked to get involved in? Are you coming to church as often as you possibly can, giving your money to church and and good causes? Or maybe think about that a slightly different way, um, because those things aren't wrong in themselves. Ask yourself why you're doing these things. What's your motivation? Does does it flow out of a heart? <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll be right back. <coughs> Does it flow out of a heart filled with joy and gratitude towards God because of what Jesus has done for you? Or, sorry. <clears throat> if you're like me, You're being very patient, thank you. (laughs) Uh, If you're like me, knowing that you're broken, do you try? I hope nobody's got lunch in the oven. (coughs) (laughs) If you're like me, knowing that you're broken, do you try to fill the cracks and paint over the rot with busyness and good deeds? Sorry. <laughs> Bless you. Somebody want to come and tell a wee joke or? No. <laughs> so, we are only made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And this isn't an, it's not a negative statement. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. It's a wonderful thing that our justification doesn't depend on us one bit because we would mess it up. He has come to give us freedom from the things that we think we can do to earn <laughs> to earn our sonship. What freedom we can have from the pressure we put on ourselves to have everything lined up and neat and tidy. Oh, sorry. It didn't go like this in the practice. <laughs> um, because the reality is that our hearts are a a shocking mess and it doesn't need to be like that we're only made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ okay So for the serious, or maybe not so serious, 
seeker, I suppose. Thanks for your help. So, if you're not a Christian, um, guess what? You need to know. <laughs> you are only made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And in order to help us maybe understand that a little bit, um, it might be useful for just to look a wee bit at the background, um, especially if you're not a Christian already. So I want to tell you um, about my late Uncle Norrie, who some of you will have known. Um, one of the many things that he did was he, he ran uh, scripture union camps and uh, scout camps where he would, he would often do the Bible talk. Uh, and I went along to loads of these camps um, that he taught at. And, and if you were around for long enough, um, you'd have heard a series that Norrie did uh, over five nights to explain the Bible and the good news about Jesus. And the talks were simply titled, God, Man, God, What If You Do, What If You Don't? Um, and the beauty of these is that they were super duper simple and no nonsense. Um, so here's what I think you need to know uh, based on the five, for five sentences based on Norrie's series. So here we go. You ready? <laughs> God... Before the beginning of time, there was a creator God who made the universe and everything, including his most precious creation, mankind. Man. Man became greedy and took what wasn't ours, and this broke the special relationship that all mankind had with the God who made them and loved them. God. There was only ever one way for this relationship with God to be restored, which was through the death of his own son, Jesus, who died taking the punishment for all the wrong things or the sins that we have ever done or will do. What if you do? Accepting forgiveness offered to us through faith in Jesus, it restores that relationship with God, giving us a purpose now and the promise of eternal life with him in heaven. Come on, Luke. <laughs> what if you don't? If we don't accept this forgiveness offered to us, we'll miss out on our purpose in this life. But far worse than that, we'll spend eternity separated from our Creator and our loving Father God. And the Bible calls that hell. We're nearly there, nearly there. <laughs> Stick with me. So... If you are not a Christian already, then today you can know a restored relationship with your Father in heaven. This is maybe why I don't get to do this all that often. <laughs> um, you are precious. And loved. <laughs> oh man, I was doing a talk once, and uh, 
it was after a gig, and um, I was getting emotional, which is really weird. never happens. <laughs> and Lydia, my youngest, she was there. I don't know how old she'd have been, like four or something like that. And I was in bits like this. <laughs> and she went, in the big crowd of people, she went, Daddy, run up. <laughs> Give me a big cuddle. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, you need to know that he loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you so that you can have eternal life because we're only made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. We might be helpless, but we're far from hopeless. Um, If you're not a Christian and you want to know more, please come and chat with us. Uh, There's a bookshelf full of books back there, um, loads of really good ones if you want to know more, um, help yourself, Uh, but please let us know if you're searching. Um, Just in a minute or two, we're going to have a song which has really incredible words. Um, In the middle verse, um, it says this, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Back to John.